Uh, please be seated, brothers and sisters. Uh, good evening, and could you please turn with me to back, back to page 1200 and 1201 of the Church Bibles, page 1200, Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. And also be helpful uh, if you have your white bulletin, uh, and if you could go to the center pages there, uh, there's a outline of the of the uh, sermon, uh, and there's also a cross-reference that we'll look at as we go along, so save us looking up the cross-reference, uh, printed it there, so it be helpful to have that open as well. Uh, but most importantly, Hebrews 11 and 12, page 1200 and 1201. We'll actually start with the uh, beginning of Hebrews 12. Let me lead us in a word of prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have gathered us together as your people around your word. I thank you that your word has been read and been sung, and we thank you that your spirit has been speaking to us in that word, and we pray now that your spirit continue to do that as we consider this passage together. May he fill me and enable me to speak your word with his strength, and may he work in each one of our hearts. May he point us to Christ and help us to see him, consider him, and run the race. Uh, that is set before us with perseverance. So please help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christian life is like a race. Not a 100-meter sprint, but a marathon. And the goal of the race is not to finish ahead of anyone else. The goal of the race is to finish, to make it to the finishing line. And we all need to keep on pressing on to that line. And not only do we need to keep on running, we need to help each other keep on running as well. And our passage today, the writer to the Hebrews calls his readers and the Spirit calls us to persevere, to faithfully endure, to keep trusting in God despite difficulty, to keep on running that race. As he puts it at the end of verse 1 of chapter 12, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But how are we going to press on? How are we going to help each other do that? Well, in our passage today, we have two big means of encouragement. Now, one of them is written just before this exhortation to run with endurance, that race. And the second one is written just after that uh, exhortation. The first one uh, that goes from uh, beginning of verse 1 of chapter 12 to, to just before that exhortation begins by referencing a great cloud of witnesses. You notice that? A great cloud of witnesses. Now the word cloud there is not talking about internet servers or water in the sky. It's a figurative, ex figurative expression which means a large crowd. A cloud of witnesses is many, many witnesses. Right? Sometimes people think of the cloud of witnesses as spectators in the stadium where you're running your race and they stand there watching you and cheering you on. But actually when we look at the context of this verse, it seems more that not that they are watching us, but that, that we watch them. Because in the chapter beforehand, which we read just now, the writer to the Hebrews has given us example after example of Old Testament saints who ran that race, who persevered in the faith. Now, faith, we read back in chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, faith means that we firmly believe in things that we can't actually see. We believe that God is the creator of the universe. We, 
can't see that, but we know it's true because God said so. And we trust God's word. And all the heroes of the Old Testament listed in Hebrews 11 were heroes because they trusted God's word. They believed in his promises. And there was Abel in verse 4 who offered a better sacrifice than Cain, uh, presumably because he believed God's word about sin and the need for atonement. Thank you. There was Enoch in verse 5 who, who didn't see death because he pleased God. And there must have been by faith because we know that without faith it's impossible to please God. Noah in verse 7 believed God's warnings and constructed the ark. Abraham in verse 8 believed God's promise of a land and so he obeyed God's word and he moved countries. Sarah in verse 11 believed God's promise of conception and she conceived and God's promise of many descendants to Abraham came true. And yet, even all these people knew that what they had was only the shadow of the reality, the ultimate fulfillment of the promises, the thing they're really looking forward to is in verse 16, a better country, a heavenly one. And so they go to the promised land, but what they actually desire is the true promised land, the, the new creation, which the, the land of Canaan was just a pointer. And they look forward to it in faith. In verse 17, Abraham believed God's promise that he would have many descendants through Isaac and, and he was willing to even sacrifice him at God's command because he figured that God would raise him from the dead. God had promised. In verse 20 to 22, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph all believed God's promises and so they speak of the future with confidence. In verse 23, Moses' parents hide him rather than obey the king's decree because they have faith. Moses himself, in verse 24 to 28, obeys God. He's willing to be mistreated with God's people. He dares to confront Pharaoh. He keeps the Passover, all because he believes God's promises and he looks forward to the future. The people of Israel believe God's promises. That's why they crossed the Red Sea by faith. That's why they encircled Jericho and it falls. And then there's also Rahab the prostitute. She believes God's promises to Israel, and so she gives a friendly welcome to the spies. There were so many more of God's people, right down through the Old Testament, who did mighty heroic acts by faith, that is, by trusting God's promises. And there were others who suffered mocking and flogging and imprisonment and poverty and homelessness and injustice. We, we read what someone just now who was martyred. God was pleased with them. They are heroes of the faith. Now, at this point, let me just clarify one thing, and I think it's important. The faith that we are talking about here is trust in God's promises. It's not saying, I can believe anything I like, and if I really believe it, God will be pleased and it will come true. It's not saying, if I really believe that God will heal my diabetes, or if I really believe God will give me a BMW, then it's going to happen. No, 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 God never promised any of those things. The things hoped for, in verse 1, are not things that I make up or things I wish for like in the fairy tales, but the things that God has promised for the future. Faith is believing the promises of God, having confidence in those things not seen. We have not seen the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We have not seen the new creation. We have not seen our inheritance and glory, but God has promised this for all who put their trust in Him. And so faith is believing those promises, even though we don't see those things. And the Old Testament believers, they believe God's promises. They received a shadow of what God promised them, but they didn't get to the realities behind the shadow. They could only see them from afar. 
And so they look forward to the new covenant, the time of the Messiah, the kingdom of God. They look forward to the realities that, that God's promises to Abraham and later Israel and the monarchy and the prophets and the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament had been pointing forward to. They were willing to suffer and die in hope and expectation for something they never experienced on earth. They were heroes of faith. But friends, that reality has dawned for us now in Jesus Christ. The new covenant has been inaugurated in His blood. His kingdom has come. The Messiah has arrived. And by offering Himself once for all upon the cross and by His mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, He has procured for them and indeed for us the fulfillment of God's promises. And for all those Old Testament faithful, for their, their, their hopes of God's forgiveness, their, their hopes they will accept their sacrifices, their hopes they'll be made fit for the heavenly city, are now realized by the means of the high priestly sacrifice of Christ. In Christ, they with us have now, at one level at least, received those things they've been straining forward to by faith. They're not witnesses of our perseverance, but witnesses of God's faithfulness in keeping His promises. And we receive their witness as we read the Old Testament. And so they speak to us even though they are dead. For if they kept trusting God through persecution and destitution and suffering and death, even though they hadn't seen the fulfillment of God's promises, how much more should we? If God was faithful to ultimately fulfill His promises to them even after their death, then we can be confident that He'll be faithful to fulfill His promises to us even after ours. And we can be certain that the day will come when they, together with us, will receive the perfect fullness of what we have been promised, where we will be with God together in that heavenly city that we're already spiritually a part of now. This cloud of witnesses with relatively little to go on were willing to trust on God's promises and act on their faith. And by their examples of faith, they encourage us as well. So be encouraged, brothers and sisters. God has an amazing future for us in the coming of His Son. Believe in that future and let that drastically affect the way you live now. If you believe in that future, you will know that godliness is the most important thing now. And so you'll make it a priority now above everything else to live to please God. You'll be willing to make all kinds of sacrifices now for the sake of the gospel because you've got eternity in view. You'll be willing to face persecution and suffering and loss now, and you won't throw away your faith when that happens because you are focused on the future. You believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. God's promises for the future motivate you now. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And these Old Testament believers, they ran, and we run our race by faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, people who believe in the future God had promised, even though they couldn't see it, let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, if we're really encouraged by these Old Testament saints and we really do believe these promises of God for the future, there's one big thing we will do, and we'll see that in the second half of verse 1. We will get rid of anything that could stop us from finishing that race. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, the modern Olympic athletes, they wear special synthetic clothing that is designed to reduce friction, have them go that just a little, little bit faster. But in the ancient Olympics, men literally got rid of everything that could possibly impede them. They, they ran in the nude. Uh, and friends, in our race, we are to do the same, not, not run around naked, but, but to throw off everything that can weigh us down in the spiritual race. And if we have faith in God's promises, that's, that's what we will do. There are all kinds of things that are not wrong in themselves, but, but can slow us down and eventually stop us from running. Uh, there might be things at work, in our studies, in our relationships, our habits, our leisure activities, anything really. Not intrinsically sinful, but can distract us from godliness. For example, we may be people who spend so much time at work for the sake of our careers that we don't have time for personal spiritual growth, for our family, for church ministry. Work is a good thing, but it can be distracting if it's not placed in its proper place, and some of us need to evaluate our work. But there are also things that are explicitly sinful. Sin will hinder us in that race, and we must get rid of sin. If we believe in God's promises of a city for the future, then we must get rid of the sins that will stop us from getting there. Sin can so easily entangle us. It can prevent us from moving forward and cause us to drop out of the race. If you have unrepentant sin in your life, please get rid of it. This race is so important. You cannot afford to be held back and to drop out. Last week, we heard very clear warnings from the Scripture about sin. And I trust, brothers and sisters, we don't take that lightly. I trust each of us have examined our own hearts and lives before God after hearing that message. Sin will stop you from running that race. If there's willful sin in your life or mine, we need to repent of it. We cannot play, play. This is life or death, heaven or hell. Please do not let sin entangle you. We have a certain hope, so get rid of whatever will stop you from persevering in trusting in God and persevering in running that race. So there's that first point, that first word of encouragement. The second means of encouragement, we're now in point three of the outline, is actually even better than the first. We find it there in verse two. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the founder of our faith in the sense that he's, he, he's the one whose life, death, resurrection, and return, and that, that's, that's what our faith is all about. Uh, there's also another sense he's the founder of our faith in the sense that he's the trailblazer, the pioneer. He's the, he's the leader in that race of faith that we follow. He's the one who's gone before us to death and resurrection life. He, he's endured the cross and he's entered into glory. So he's the founder or the pioneer of our faith. He's also, Hebrews says, the perfecter of our faith. And again, there's two, two different aspects to that. He's, the, he's a truly faithful one. He trusted God through his life and his betrayal, his taunting, his torture, his crucifixion, and he had the perfect faith. He endured to the very end. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's also the perfecter of our faith in the sense that in him our faith is made complete because it finds that focus in his life, death, and resurrection. Without it, we'll be like, still have all those loose strings from the Old Testament. Don't know how they all fit together. How could God possibly fulfill all his promises? But, but with Jesus, it all comes together. The faith is perfected. 
And so we look to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of the faith. We, we focus our eyes trustingly on him. And as we do that, there's something the writer wants us to particularly ponder to help us to persevere. Have a look at verse 2 again. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus was willing to endure the cross even though it was filled with shame. The cross, we know, was an instrument of execution. And so he suffered the, the shame of being subjected to capital punishment. But it's not just that. The cross exposes its victim to disgrace of nakedness and degradation and mocking and jeers. That's shameful. But it's not just that. For in biblical terms, dying on a cross is, is hanging on a tree. It's a sign of God's curse. Even though Jesus didn't deserve it, even though he never did anything wrong, Jesus suffered the shame of being publicly cursed by God. He took our curse for us when he died for our sins in our place. He endured not only the shame of humiliating nakedness, only the shame of being outcast and rejected, only the shame of dying the death of a criminal, but even the shame of being cursed by his own father. Yet he despised the shame. He scorned it. He didn't give it too much credence. For as terrible as that shame was, and it really, really was, he was looking at something even bigger. He was looking beyond the shame to the even bigger thing, the joy that was set before him at the Father's right hand. Have a look at Psalm 16. That's on your, it's in the, in the outline. Psalm 16, verse 9 to 11. Let me read that for you. It says this. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Jesus knew that he is the Holy One of Psalm 16. And so he trusted the Father not to abandon him to the grave, not to let him see decay. He looked forward to the joy of the Father's presence, eternal pleasures at his right hand. He knew this is God's promise. And so he looked beyond the shame and the suffering of the cross, and he trusted the Father that he would be raised and glorified. That is faith. And so verse 2 tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And you know what happened? Well, once again, God was faithful to his promises. Verse 2 continues. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The one who endured the shame is now glorified. The very opposite of being shamed. And friends, this is amazing. This is even bigger than those cloud of witnesses earlier. Because even they haven't received the fullness of what was promised, but Jesus has. He's suffered, he's died, but then he's risen and he's exalted on high the Father's right hand. The God's promise has been 100% fulfilled for him. And so friends, if we are going to run our race with endurance, the most important thing we've got to do is to keep our eyes on him. Verse 3 tells us to consider him. 
to, to think through carefully the implications of his example. Consider him, verse 3, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. For the original recipients of this letter, that meant that they would press on despite the persecutions they were facing. And friends, whenever we face persecution or even opposition or difficulty or suffering, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus as well. Whenever the marathon path leads up a steep hill or through dry and deserted places, where the joy seems to evaporate, when we feel depressed or frustrated or alone, when, when we're denied justice, when we, when we feel the hostility of others and we're tempted to drop out, fix your eyes on Jesus, the Spirit says to us. Jesus endured the hostility of sinners. Jesus was betrayed by a close friend, denied justice and mocked and crucified. Yet he persevered in the faith and he was vindicated by God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't just look at the others who have let you down. Don't just look at the desperation of your circumstances. Don't just look at the magnitude of your problems. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of the faith, who showed us at the cross how much God really does love us, who showed us that God is in control and He can bring good out of evil, who showed us no matter how bad the circumstance, no matter how terrible the shame, God is faithful to His promises and one day will turn the tables around and glorify His people. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who was sacrificed once and for all to give you forgiveness and access to the throne of grace. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who lives in heaven today as your great high priest, who is always praying to the Father for you. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who is able to sympathize with your weakness, enable you to faithfully endure. Fix your eyes on Jesus and see that he is now risen, ascended, and glorified, and that's even better than what happened to the Old Testament saints. And that is what will happen to you if you follow his example of perseverance. So keep believing that God is good and will fulfill his promises, even when you don't see it in your circumstances. Keep trusting him to the very end, till you reach the finishing line and you enter with joy into your Father's presence where you will share His glory forevermore. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. God our Father, we thank you that you are always faithful to your promises. We thank you that those Old Testament heroes of Hebrews 11 kept trusting you in spite of all different kinds of hardships and you showed yourself faithful. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus who trusted you, enduring the cross, despising its shame, 
And thank you that you showed yourself faithful by raising him from the dead and exalting him, giving him the joy of your presence at, at your right hand forevermore. Father, please help us to fix our eyes on him. Please allow these gospel truths that we've been reminded of in, in your word today to, to so permeate our hearts that we may not grow weary or give up. Enable us, we pray, just to lay aside every weight and every sin that threatens to derail us and to run the race that you have set before us with perseverance. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.